This is Kevin Sigel, Kevin Sigel Ministries. Welcome to tonight's podcast. Tonight's podcast is going to be a little different. We're going to dive into a 24-hour teaching mentoring class that I've done a couple years ago. We're going to start tonight's podcast with identity and jump on into the next 23 in the next few weeks. Hope you enjoy this podcast. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about identity and I taught a couple years ago 24 weeks worth of mentoring and this was the first lesson in that mentoring class that I done was on identity and I think it's very imperative that we understand who we are in Christ. There's so many people that are in a church realm or a church place that haven't a clue who they are in Christ. And I think that's sad. That that should be the number one first kingdom teaching, I believe, that when you get born again, when you're saved, when you understand who Christ is and, and you, uh, you've come to a place of revelation of, of, wow, I believe the first teaching, I believe they're to take you out of the church, set you in a corner somewhere, and teach you on identity, and teach you how to walk in that identity, that you may be able to walk as a son of God or a daughter of God instead of, you know, so many people in the church realm is connected to a church, but they're not connected to the relationship. They don't understand that who they are in Christ is more significant than the name it is on the church that they go to. I've had so many people, you can ask them about, uh, you know, ask them about salvation. The first thing I'm going to do is mention what church they go to. I really could care less what, what church you go to. I want to know who do you go to. I want to know who you're in a relationship with. I want to know, is it Christ and Christ and Him? And is He, is He the hope of all glory? Is, if, if you, like we was talking about, if you lost all things and you could never go to church again, is Christ sufficient? And that's probably a really good topic for now. Is Christ Are you secure enough in your identity to be able to walk this thing out without having to have a service, without having to have a meeting, without having... Listen, I love them. They're great. They're beautiful. But there's that thing. Are you willing to say Christ is enough? Are you so entangled with the Holy Spirit that you can host a Holy Spirit party in your living room? Are you so set and infatuated? And I love, I love that word, infatuated with Him that nothing else matters now. That everything, I, I, honestly, I believe this in my spirit. I know this in my spirit. When you're infatuated with Him, then the things that are of Him will attach themselves to you. And you don't have to pray for them, they just come. It's an automatic drawing of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God that is within you. He'll send the right people. He'll send the right job. He'll send the right whatever it is. He's going to send the right because that's His will for you. So tonight we're going to talk about identity. Knowing who you are as you become who you are called to be. I wrote that down, man. When I started writing this, I was like, wow. Because that is a word right there. And it says, knowing who you are as you become who you are called to be. I believe everybody that's in this room tonight is becoming. You're becoming. You wouldn't be here if you weren't becoming. You'd be satisfied and done. Matter of fact, if you, you would be dead. 
But you're always becoming what? We're becoming more like Christ. We're becoming more like Him. We're, more, we're becoming more like the Creator who created us. We're, this is the whole lifespan of a person is to become like Christ. Some will get it. Some will miss it. But the, the, but the, but the intent that God has given you has never changed. So as you become who you're called to be, I begin to think about all the things that I know about me that signifies me a little different from you. Amen? Uh, sometimes you can talk about, well, he sounds this way or he looks this way or, or he uh, does this or does that. But there's some significant things that God has given us in our bodies to be different. Number one, lift, it, lift your hands. Look at your hands. Everybody look at your hands. Now. Come on, you got fingerprints on your hands. And if those fingerprints are taken by the law or you go to a police station, those fingerprints will be a print that will identify you of who you are. And every, come on, listen, everybody's got a distinct, different fingerprint. That, to me, is amazing in itself. That everybody, not just in this room, not everybody just in this city, not everybody just in the United States, but everybody in the whole entire planet has a different fingerprint and can be distinguished by that identity. That's how much, listen, I believe that's how much God cares about identity that he gave you your own. Amen? And you don't have to share it with anybody else. You don't have to say, I'm entangled in this because my mom and dad's entangled in this. You don't have to say that because, see, he knows you. He knows you. Your retina and your eye, same thing. Everybody, you can do an eye scan in a lot of places in high up in the military, FBI and CI and such, have a retinal scan. And what they do is they scan your retina because inside of your eye is an identifying factor that something in there looks different from your eye to my eye, but yet he still recognizes you with a different identity. Because why? Because it's not your identity, per se. It is his identity of you. That's how he sees you. And so the Bible also talks about he numbers the hairs on our head. He knows, come on, he knows how many hairs is on your head. He knows how many hairs on your head. He knows how many hairs is not, oh, well, on the side of your head. Amen? So he knows how many hairs are on your head, and he can distinguish your hairs from my hairs, and he knows that I have maybe more than you do, or you maybe have more than I do. But he knows those things because why? That's quite because he cares so much about you knowing that you have an identity. He wants the people of this world to know that they have identity. He wants us all to know and ask the question, who am I? How many, how many times have you looked in the mirror and said, who am I? And I think that's what God wants. He wants us to ask that question. He wants us to say, who am I? Why am I here? What am I to do? What is this call that these preachers preach about, talk about what are these calls on my life? Who am I? We know who Jesus is, but do we know who we are? Can we effectively say, I am a child of God? We sing that song a lot. There's no longer, I'm no longer in fear. I'm no longer bound by fear. I'm no longer afraid. And I am a child of God. 
And I don't believe that comes from saying I'm no longer afraid that you become a child of God or you understand the revelation of being a child of God. I believe really saying you're no longer afraid is because you have the revelation, I am a child of God. And that's where it comes from. That's the identity that God wants us to have. He sees us. Come on. He sees us as Him. He sees us when, when you're saved, when you're born again, when Christ, when God looks on us. I don't believe He sees us any different than He sees His Son, Jesus. You say, wow, that's pretty big. Well, the Bible says that. The Bible says as He is in this world, so are we. The, the whole book of Romans was written to the Jews in Rome trying to explain to them that they could now call God Abba because of the Spirit. That they were adopted into a royal priesthood and they became the family of God. That is identity 101. Again, if I could preach a message to anybody that's born again, this would be the message I would preach. This is the one I would teach. This is the one I'd be able to lay out and say, listen, you grab a hold of this and everything else is going to come easy. Uh, somebody asked me one time, I said, how do you get the revelations you got? Every one of them, every revelation, honestly, every revelation that I've ever got in my whole life started with identity. Somebody said one time, I said, how did you get the eschatology to the God? How did you get the believing way, the way you do on the end times? I said, because of identity. Because of grace. Identity and grace walk hand in hand. But identity is why, because I know, I, I know I'm not born to end. I'm born to live. Amen. There's an eternity on the inside of me that's greater than anything that's ever been on this world, around this world, or anything about this world. I have eternity. Amen. There's a kingdom that lives inside of me. It's amazing. So there's different places. I'm going to talk about some aspects of identity. I talked about five nights one time on different aspects of identity, and I may teach that again or uh, maybe show some videos of that uh, that I've done at one time. But number one is son. When I want to say son, a lot of, a lot of ladies will be like, well, hold on a second, I'm a daughter. Well, when God says son, he don't mean son or daughter. Because why? Because effectively at the, at the foot of the cross, there is no male, there is no female, there is no Jew, there is no Greek. There's only one, and that's son. All right? And the reason I believe he wants you to be called son is because you carry a seed. And so, what do you mean? I carry the word. That means everybody can carry the word. Everybody can carry the seed of the word of God. And there's so, when I say son, you can't get say, well, what about me? I'm a daughter. Well, that's great. All right. He does say daughter sometimes in the Bible. I believe at one time he calls a woman and says, rise up, daughter. Amen. Because why? Because he wants to know. But what I'm trying to say in this and what he's trying to say when he says sonship, that means you have a rightful relationship with the father. So the son is the individual. I know I'm a son. Amen. You know what? I can be a son without anybody in this room because he's looking at me. I can be a son without ever being around anybody else in the whole entire planet. And that's beautiful because he all looks at us as sons individually. But then corporately, we're the bride. Together, we're the bride. So when sonship comes together, they form the bride. And so when Christ comes back, he's not coming back to get together all these sons. He's coming back together the bride. Amen. This is the corporate bride of Christ that comes together as sonship. And when, you, when you're good with your sonship, then you can understand your bridalship. So the son is the heir, the royalty. It is a position in the family. So when people say, what is my call? What am I supposed to do? Be a son. Number one, before you 
before you think or you respond in your call, you better know who you are in Christ. Before you are an apostle, before you're a prophet, evangelist, teacher, pastor, helps, come on, <laughs> healings, all these things, these will not, you will not effectively gravitate or walk in that call without knowing who you are in Christ. It's impossible. Because everything stems from the position that you hold in the royal family. I saw that a while back. What was it? The people in the, over uh, England that they walked out of the royal family and said, we want to go live. I'm like, oh my God, this is what the church done. The church said, oh, we're good. We can do this on our own. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. I might be able to do some things, but I'll never do all things because I can do all things in Christ, but there's a lot of things I can't do. I do not need to be a son that's not attached to a royal family. I need to be a son that is positioned in the household of God, attached to the royal family, that everything that is royal, when I say royal, everything that is royal comes to me. Amen? When I come on, all the riches, all, all the glory, all these things, all these things are at my capacity. I have ability. See, in the royal family, you can understand this, not everybody gets to touch the things of the king. Not everybody gets to look at the places that the king has. Not everybody gets to uh, read the things that the king reads. Not everybody gets to speak to the king like the king is. Nobody gets all them things. Only way you can actually do that is be a part of the family. And that's why he wants us to know today that we have sonship, that you can come and look at his things. You can talk to him. You can prowl around in the royal kingdom. You can go from place to place in the spirit realm because why? Effectively you are the son of the king of kings and the lord of lords. It's powerful. The bride when I think of the bride, I think about holy, pure, beautiful. When he looks at one of us as the bride, he looks at us as a beautiful bride. Amen. So I've done many weddings in my day. And one of the greatest things to me is to be able to stand beside the groom and watch the groom's eyes when the bride comes in. Because there's something mar mar uh, magical, marvelous, or whatever happens in that moment. It's like an awe moment. And I believe that's the way God looks at us. I believe when God sees us, he stands in awe. He's like, wow, she's beautiful. She's amazing. There's two big things I believe the church struggles with. Number one, they don't know who they are in Christ. Or number two, they have forgotten who they are in Christ. Every time I do counseling with anybody, whether it's marriage, whether it's just one-on-one, -on -one, personal counseling, whatever it is, if I talk, I can almost tell you one of those two things has happened. Number one, they've either walked into the room not knowing who they are, or number two, they've forgotten before they got here who they are in Christ. And because why? Because all the answers I hear, all the questions I get, are nothing to do with sonship. You get that? When they begin to ask me, how can I fix this? I'm, I don't know. And listen, once you ask him, you're a son. I've noticed this. Listen, prayer works. And prayer has to be our first principle. Our first priority is to go to him. And if we, when we go to him, he may send you to me. Amen. But he's wanting you to come to him first. So there's number one that, that people that don't know who they are, they're having a, having a clue. And the church is one of the ones that make this Hard on people because we didn't tell nobody. <laughs> it's like a secret. 
You got saved. Now come sit in my pew, sing these songs, listen to this message, and go home and grovel in all your worries and disgust and problems and all these things. And You live outside the royal family, but you're welcome to come here on Sundays. Wow. That was a bad, bad point in the church. No wonder so many people struggle. You know, you say, well, I struggle. Yeah, I struggle. But I'm always reminded that I'm a son. And I'll never forget that because it's imprinted in my mind that I'm a son. Even on my worst day, I'm still a son. Even on my best day, I'm still a son. Even on my mediocre, meh days, I'm still a son. And if you could ever catch that revelation, if you could ever reach up and grab that revelation and put this in here, then everything else is going to fall into place in your life. I promise you. Most people people won't preach this. Most people won't even teach this stuff. It's amazing. I don't know. I've grown up in church pretty much all my life, and I really don't never think I ever heard a message on identity. I didn't. Nobody told me. Nobody said that. I don't know why anybody didn't say it, but it's all in the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible. I don't know why. But then those are those who forgot. So it's good to acknowledge that you forget. How many forget things? I had to go back to my house twice this season because I forgot two things. All right? It's okay to forget, but it's not okay to stay in that forgetting state. It's not okay to stay in the state that it's all right to be forgetting. I, I don't want to be forgetting. I don't want to, I, I want to be reminded. And here's the important factor in that. You should be hanging around, running with, connected with people that remind you of who you are in Christ. If they remind you of anything else, then I'm going to go ahead and say this. They are anti-Christ. You say, oh, they're the anti- I'm not talking about the anti-Christ. I'm talking about anti-Christ. The Bible says we have many of them. Well, the anti-Christ means anything that's pulling you away from Christ. Anything that's pulling you away from Him. Anything that's teaching you anything but Him is anti-Christ. So what happens is in the church, we, we started... We took this position of people that know who they were in Christ and they forgotten who they are in Christ. And so instead of telling them who they are in Christ and reminding them who they are in Christ, we just gave them new labels. You're a sinner saved by grace. What, I promise you this. You go ask the church, more people are going to tell you they're sinners, sinners saved by grace than they are a son. If I ask you who, who you're on Christ or what is your what is where is your stance at right now? I'm a sinner saved by grace. And rarely will people say, I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. So we gotta effectively move remove those labels. If you are labeling yourself or anybody else is labeling you anything but son, then they rightfully do not have the position. They're not rightfully positioned to put anything label on you. And you've got to remove those labels. Kenna hates labels on her clothes. And every time she gets new clothes, she says, Dad, Mom, cut this off. And I'm reminded of them, that's exactly the way we should be. As we get a new label on ours, and somebody sticks a label on us, we should say, Dad, cut this off. Get this off of me. This is, come on, you ever have a label that bothers you? This label's bothering me. And for years, I remember saying, I'm just a sinner by, saved by grace, but yet that bothered me. The dickens out of me. I could, I couldn't. I didn't know why. I didn't know why because it's all in you. But every time I'd say, hear somebody say, "You're just a sinner saved by grace," or they say, "Oh, you're just merely flesh," and all these things, and I'm like, "Oh, it's, I, 
It agitated me in the spirit realm. And it should agitate you. And I didn't even know who I was in, in Christ. But it was still agitating me. Because why? Because he knew I was going to figure it out. And one day I'd need that. Labels should bother you. If you, affect, if you really know who you are in Christ, then labels should really bother you. See, we're about to label people. How many know blind Bartimaeus? Do you know Bartimaeus? Because Bartimaeus is not blind anymore, but yet we still call him blind Bartimaeus. What about the woman with the issue of blood? The church preaches on the woman with the issue of blood, but as far as I know, she has no issue anymore. But yet we still call her the woman with the issue of blood. She didn't have an issue. She has an identity because that's the one where he said, daughter. But we, yet we carry them labels like they're, they're still stuck there. That's a good, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. If I was blind and God healed me, you best not call me blind Kevin. You best, you best look at the fact that I'm healed. And people, honestly, Mom, I'll tell you this. is, And people still, still think they have cancer when they don't have cancer. And that label, then that label begins agitating them. I'm telling you right now, this is what we've done in the church. And we said it was okay to label. You, you're all right to label that. You know, and I, I believe in a, a groups like AA and uh, what is it? All them, all them groups, NA and all that stuff. But what? I, what I don't believe in is they effectively label you for life that you're an addict. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Listen, I don't believe once an addict, always an addict. I don't believe that. And I believe that's what happens when we label. And yeah, that make, make you feel better. And that may, But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it eventually agitate you. And it should agitate you. Satan's greatest attack is on who you are. He's not coming to try to convince you of who he is. Satan don't care if you know who he is. As long as you don't know who you are, it doesn't really matter. Because he's already won the battle in your mind. He's already, he's already confused you enough to be able to not walk in what God's called you to walk into. And I know we, we preach that. We preach that for years. We gotta get, we, everybody got to know who Satan is. Listen, I don't really care. I could care less who Satan is. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what he smells like. I don't care. Listen, I don't care anything about that because I know who I am. And who I am is not connected to that. And if it's not connected to that, I don't need to know about that. Amen? Or he'll use those labels. Just take a label on you. I am not I am not who I used to be. Amen. And you gotta be you gotta be good at saying that. Because if not, he's gonna stick a label on you, he's gonna remind you of who you were. And I don't care if it was who you were ten years ago or three days ago. He's gonna remind you of that. And that's why I have a lot of times when preachers, when I, when I have different ministers and preachers and people that come in and they're like uh I, I, like, you know, uh, they have a problem with and I've seen this in the church. And I, I've been in churches where they had like nine or ten preachers in there. And they would listen. They would ask the preachers, like, can you preach today? And they were like, well, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not in a good mood today. I can't do it. They labeled. They, they labeled. They got labeled. And they didn't realize they got labeled. 
And I remember one time a preacher told me that one time. He, his young preacher, uh, they asked him to preach, and he said, "I, I, I don't, I don't even have a, I don't have a title for my message." I said, "Who cares? Titles are for religious people." I said, "Religion makes it feel good if you got a title. You don't need a title. I mean, don't hashtag nothing on you that God didn't give you." And so. I believe sometimes if we don't get these labels off of us, what we do is we pass down a false identity. You know, kids grow up in a household and they see, and you you think, oh, I don't, I'll have, my kids are going to be better. And I, well, listen, if you don't speak better than them, they're not going to be. If you don't do better, you, they're just not going to be. It's going to follow this same path. And they'll label themselves with what you, and sometimes parents label kids. I've seen parents label kids big time. We've talked to Keelan. I've talked parents label kids. Kids think they're stupid because of what the parents said they were. Okay. I'm about ripping that label off, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you that label, that label will hurt you sometimes. When you rip off a label, sometimes it's attached. It's more than just on you. It's in you, and that's cast out a devil. Amen? you got to rip that thing off and release it and get it away. So labels don't just follow us. They follow us and them. I was thinking about that today. My kids are secure in who they are. It's amazing. I was, I was thinking today that my kids don't act good because I tell them to act good. They just act good. That They do what they, they just do. And it's amazing to me that they don't grow up and they don't live in fear. Because I didn't put a label on them. I didn't put a label of fear on them. I didn't stick that label. I'm a child of God, but yet I'm walking in fear. I didn't stick that label on them. And, and, and now, it took me a long time to figure out that I was doing it. Sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it. But if you if you always got your kids thinking about the end of the world, then you've put something on them that God didn't want them. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, if you think this whole thing's going to end, you're going to quit. And that's just a, that's just a fact of the matter. And I've seen churches quit, and they've quit. Why? Because they think it's done. There's nothing in there that says it's done. And if they go historically and read the Bible in context, they'll figure it out. They ain't even talking about the end of the world anyway. People quit when they think it's done. So there's a generational aspect to identity. In the physical, we not only hand down our names. In the physical, we hand down our names. If you have a kid... And it's a boy. That boy is going to carry the name of the father. Man, I heard a good teaching on this the other day. Who was I listening to? Keelan? It was amazing. It was about no, it was a book I was reading. It was about carrying that father's seed. It was it was powerful. I ain't gonna teach on that. I'll get off on that later. But I'll find that book and let you read it. It was pretty good. But you hand down that name, and they carry. Who you are. Clay is the last boy single. He's going to carry my name. And if he doesn't have another boy, then the name just kind of dissipates. But he carries the name. He's carrying the lineage. He's, he's carrying who I am. And when I am gone, he'll still carry that. And hopefully he'll carry it and then carry it to send with somebody else. And if you don't, we'll just, God will figure that out and make it work out how it works. Amen? But listen. Your identity will travel. 
When you're thinking about who you are and you know who you are in Christ, don't think about it just now. You think about it's three generations from now. If I don't get this right, then they won't get this right. You say, well, that ain't always true. It's not always true, but statistically in the spirit realm, they ain't going to get it right. You can look through the Bible and see, and you see the kings that was, that was coming up throughout the Bible. There were bad kings and bad kings and bad kings and bad kings, and all of a sudden, boom, there's one good king. But what if there was a good king and then a lineage of good kings come out instead of a lineage of bad kings. And that's what happens in the Bible. You go out and read it. There's bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. And all of a sudden, this lineage starts handing out. Because you hand down whatever you are. Amen? You, when, you, when you leave this earth, people, come on, your kids are going to carry who you are. It's not going to, you know, they're going to they're get that revelation of identity from mom and dad. You can send them to church every Sunday. You can send them in Sunday school. You can send them wherever you want to. But they're going to do what mom and daddy does. Why? Because you have authority in their life. And they're going to listen to authority. I remember I was praying for somebody one time. And the parents had actually said something that was against the way I was praying. And I was telling somebody about this, not naming names, but just telling them about the instance of this. And there was an older lady in the in the crowd, and man, I'll tell you, she spoke from the heart of God. She said, you can't take the authority away from a parent. And I was like, wow, that's kind of sad. So what I have to do is I have to change the mind of the parent, that the parent begin to speak the word of God. And that's effectively what I started, but I didn't really realize that. And that's why we have, as parents, you are the authority in the household and whatever you say goes where does it go and who amen and it's going to go through and this is what happens in the in the bad side of things where we see effectively a family that's raised up in a poverty mindset they pass this on down to the next generation and then we th three generations deep of poverty man we can't get that uh, off of them why because what, well that's the way my grandpa done it and I mean, that's what the church attitude's been for so long that's the way my grandpa done it what if your grandpa didn't do it right are you willing to say maybe grandpa didn't get it if you're not then you're going to do exactly and you're going to flow in the exact realm that Grandpa did. Whatever revelation Grandpa had, that's what you got and you're done. Stick with it. But what if you say, oh, Grandpa was a great guy. He had great revelation. But there's some things that he, doesn't, he didn't know that I know now. Talking to a pastor yesterday last night, and he's trying to teach his church some different things. And I'm like, hooray, go for it. Listen, they may not like it. But I don't know if they were called to like it. I don't think that's a call of God to like it. I think that's a call to God to be offended, get over it, and go with it. Amen? Because offense actually grows you. Just don't stay in it. Identity must be released. It's got to be released into a realm to where I'm not just knowing who I am, but I'm giving this to the next generation. I want to be able to, my kids, to my, here's what I want my sons and kids when you grow up kids when you get older he's saying he knew who he was in Christ because why because if they can get that and that's 100 years from now whatever I'm going to live to be 147 100 years from now and they get that 
that how much further and how much more would they leave their generation? And I've said this before. I think we're stuck where Paul was. We should be stuck where Paul was. We should be way further advanced than where Paul was at. Paul left. Listen, Paul left a place, and he wanted us to carry on and continue and grow further in Christ. But yet we were content with doing what Paul did. Amen. And I don't think that's sad in a bad way. But I'm thinking this is the way we said. Well, we're here. Paul was here. But listen, Paul did not know it all. Paul, the Bible says that Paul said that I do things that I shouldn't do and I don't do things that I should do. Paul knew. He said, I'm the chiefest amongst all sinners. He, Paul knew this thing. He's like, what he was trying to say to you is you don't stop where I'm stopping. You get where I'm at and then go further. And that's what you want to do with your identity. I, I know who I'm in Christ, but I want kids to know who, more who they are. I want them to understand at a different realm or a different avenue or a different. I want them to get more perspective on it than what I've got. I've got good perspective sometimes, but I want them to have more perspective. I don't want them to have that perspective. Because there may be a perspective that I haven't seen yet. I can't see yet. Maybe I've not went that high. You know, Paul went into the third heaven. Amen. What if we went to the fourth? That's what identity looks like. Identity doesn't just say, I'm going to settle for where I'm at. It says, I'm going to settle for where I'm at until I get to where I'm going because I'm not going to stop right here. So we begin to effectively begin to pray as a son. I'm going to list some things that, that we should do as a son. Your prayer life changes when you know who you are. You don't pray as a slave anymore. Most people pray... The, they, they're behind the veil. They're still, in their mindset, they're still behind the veil. And they're praying, trying to pray through a crack in the veil. But the veil, the Bible tells me, is ripped from the top to the bottom. It doesn't exist anymore. That we have access, not just access, but we have the ability to live in the Holy of Holies. Amen. And we can stay there because the Holy of Holies effectively lives in us. So when we begin to pray, we don't pray like a son. And I'm, and I, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm saying this, trying to bring the revelation to the identity is because I hear a lot of people telling how God, how poor and horrible they are. Now, if you were my kid and you came to me, every time you came to me and you started telling me how poor and horrible that you are, you know what's going to come to my mind? I have failed as a father. <coughs> because see, that's a fault. It's false humbleness. We say, oh God, well, I'm so wretched. I'm so poor. I'm so ungrateful. I'm so unworthy. I'm so all this. I'm so all that. Listen, what are you doing? You're sticking tags on yourself again that God never put on you. I'm so this. I'm so that. Won't you just say, I'm a son. I'm here to see the dad. I'm here, I'm here to see the father. Can we can we have, can we speak to God like that? Can can you if you're a son, how, how, how does your kid speak to you? I believe God gives us that revelation through the the physical kids that we have, and I believe how do you, mom? When I when I see you, do I say and tell you how horrible I am all the time? Why do we do that to God? Do, why why do, why do we keep why do we keep asking God for things that we've already got? <laughs> I think. I think as a father, sometimes he's like, what, what, are you, what are you saying? Why, why do you keep saying that? And we'll get on to that in a little bit, maybe in the next lesson, but we're going to believe as a son. What do you mean believe as a son? You've got to believe like a son. You know, my kids believe. Jackson, is there food at the house? Yeah. Amen. Why? Because we went to the store. 
Because we went to the store and bought it. You believe it's still there? Yeah. Amen. It's still there. You don't have to ask for things you already got. Good answer. You don't have to ask for things you've already got. You have to believe. Jackson, there's ever, I'm just going to ask you because you're here. Is there ever one time you went throughout the day thinking, God, I hope Kevin can find some money to buy some food tonight? No. Why? Because you believe. Amen? And you believe I'm doing my job. And if I'm doing my job, you don't have to worry about it. Amen? How many times, I'm just going to ask you one How many times you come to the house and you think, I wonder if our, I wonder if our, our house payment's paid this month. Never. You just walk in, go downstairs, get on Xbox, or why? And you don't think it. You don't think about that. Why? Why do you not think about that? It's because you don't have to think about that. That is not your job to think about. Your job is to walk in it. Amen. And that's 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 what identity is. That's what believing as a son is. Is we don't have to think. But you don't have to think outside the realm of what the father's already done. You don't have to think about, well, how's he, how's he going to do this tomorrow? Or is this going to work out? Or Listen, he's already got that. He's already got that figured out. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, I've got all figured out next week what we're probably going to eat. Now, we don't know exactly what that'll be, but it's in the house somewhere. Amen? So that's the way we got to walk in this as sonship is where we believe and we don't have to figure. <clears throat> he's the father. Either, either he's the father or he's a slave master. Now, a slave mindset's going to say, I wonder if he's going to feed us today. I, want, I wonder if he's going to take care of us. And then also, you got to speak as a son. You begin to release words that come out of your mouth that sound like a son. Instead of like a slave. If there's sonship in you, it needs to come out of you. Why? Because the more you start talking like him, the more you start understanding you are like him. When you speak a word, the Bible says what? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's so true. Why? Because only slaves speak with death. Sons speak with life. There's the... There's the connection. There's life in the son's tongue. There's death in the slave's tongue. Slave's always going to say, I can't get out of here. I'll never get out of here. This is going to be the end of my life. and we're gonna, I'm just going to die right here. And here's what the son says. son says, I don't have to live like this. No. Son, son gets in a position where he's, he's all cornered up, tied, struggling, and all of a sudden, son, the son don't, don't resort to looking at his chains and bondage. He resorts to removing his chains and bondage and say, I don't have to live like this anymore. I'm a royal heir in the house of God. I do not have to walk this way anymore. Amen? We study as a son. When we read this Bible, we, if you read this, you read this word and you read yourself anywhere besides the son, you'll see all, things, all the things that are not listed. Mm-hmm. You'll you're, you're, you're pick and choose what you want, you want, but you won't read it in context because wow, this Bible was this Bible was written for you. It wasn't written to you; it was written for you. And so, when we got to understand that, you got to understand the true identity in the relationship. That when it's like God wrote this book for me, Amen. He wrote these words so I could live. He wrote these words so I could have life and life abundantly. John ten and ten. 
Because true identity marks the relationship. True identity marks the relationship you have with God. You can say, how close am I to God? How close to the revelation of sonship are you? Do I spend time with the Father as a son? Or do I spend time with the Father as a slave? Do I speak to myself like that? True identity marks the relationship. In the marriage, if you're married, you're known by one of two things. Either the husband or the wife. That's unpopular public opinion now. But biblical truth, it's still the same. Either a husband or a wife. And what connects you is that covenant in between you. Now, if I tell you today that Key was my wife, she knows she's my wife, right? She looked at me kind of weird. Why do you know you're my wife? Because we have a covenant. And I'm known as the husband. I'm secure at that. I'm secure being the husband. I, and hopefully she's secure being the wife. I'm secure in that. How do you want you what are you saying? I don't have to go around thinking, am I a husband? So the, so the revelation of identity is what marks our marriage. She don't go around and say, I wonder if I'm the wife today. And see, so we did this with our relationship with God because we'd go around saying, say, I wonder if I'm the son today. I wonder if he still likes me. I wonder if he still, come on, listen. If we forget the covenant, if we forget the covenant, well, because whether. Why? Because the devil don't want you looking at the covenant. He wants you to look at a hashtag that God did not put on you, that the devil probably put on you. And so you start looking at yourself as something different. There's not one time that I know in my marriage that I know anything else besides I'm the husband. <clears throat> my kids don't have to wonder if they're my kids. They don't come to the house and think, I wonder if I'm still his. They don't have to come and make sure that I know that they're still mine. They don't have to tell me, hey, you know I'm yours, right? But see, that's what we've done to the relationship with the Father as we have to keep reminding him that he knows you. He knows who you are. It's not based on what I do, but who I am. That's nothing can take away your sonship. I know a lot of people want to preach that it can, but it can't. It can't take away your sonship. There's no principalities, no height, no depth. It's going to separate you from the love of God. If you lose sonship, you probably didn't have it. Actually, I say you didn't have it. Because there's a covenant, there's a blood covenant. You know, matter, it's funny because no matter what I do in my life, I'll always be my dad's son. 
no matter if I ended up in prison for killing a thousand people, I'll still be my dad. That's weird, isn't it? I, I can't separate that. It's impossible. I'm not working on it, on becoming a son, but I'm working as a son. I'm becoming, I'm a son that's becoming more like my father. And I'm not saying becoming, but I'm transforming into that because I am transforming into it, but I'm becoming through the revelation of that already like my father. I'm com- There's more revelation that's coming every day. It's calling me closer to the identity of what he, what, listen, I think a per- the perfect bride is one that agrees and believes she is one. Are they one? The church has labeled so many people as everything but son. Luke chapter 15. There's a story, and I preached this before, on the prodigal son. Have you ever read Luke 15? I've read Luke 15 hundreds of times, Marshall, probably thousands of times. You know what I never found in there? The word prodigal. The word prodigal is not in Luke chapter 15. Where did the word prodigal come from? Something we labeled that young son with. His father never called him anything but son. He never said, there's my wayward son. There's my prodigal son. There's my disobedient son. Come on, listen. He never called him anything but son. That's, to me, that's what gave him the revelation. See, now, the son came back. Remember, the son has got his face down in the hog pit. He's run out of money and everything he's eating with the hogs are eating. He gets a revelation of, whew, I need to go back home. The son's first instinct was, I'll go back as a slave. There's where the mislabeling, come on. So many people, God, I've seen this so many times. So many people in the church, they screw up, mess up, do something stupid, and then they still, they want to go back as a slave. And the church says, okay, you can come back, but only as a slave. Have you ever seen that? You can come back, but you're going to bow to us. And, and, and any time you think you're getting things right, I'm going to keep bringing up the hog pit. Because why? Because that's where you, that's, that was your choice. You done it. What did the father do? Did the father come back and say, I don't even think he told him that you, you, you messed up. That, that is grace to me because, listen, that's hard for me to do that because I, sometimes I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? The father never said, hey, I can't believe you spent all my money. You knew better than that. You're a horrible kid. What in the world are you thinking? You know what he said? Welcome home. Welcome home. I knew he was coming back. 
Matter of fact, I done set a place for you at the table. Been sitting there since she's gone. I never, I, I, I never one time doubted that you wouldn't return. Because why? Because you're my son. Because you're connected to me in such a way. And you couldn't do it. No matter what you did, you could never cut that off. And you'll always be my son. And so, what does he do? He says, somebody, bring me the ring. Bring me the robe. Somebody get some new shoes. For my son has returned home. The best way to ever get somebody to realize their identity in Christ is to bless the identity that is them. He didn't say, get me some old nasty shoes, give me a dirty ring, give me, give me, give me an old jacket, whatever. He said, bring me the best. Because why? Because I know if I treat him like the best, he's going to understand that he is. Kill the fighting calf. Kill the calf. What? The one you've been, when one we've been raising for the last year and we fed everything that we want that calf dead and we're going to serve him. Why? Because my son is home. And see, he threw a party because identity had came home. That's good, isn't it? You know where the church is at in that picture? The church is the brother. It said, what in the world? Because it didn't really dawn on to me until I started studying that out, Marshall. That ring, those shoes, that coat, and that calf actually belonged to the other brother. Remember? They split their inheritance. The father didn't own a thing no more. It was the other brother that owned the rest of that inheritance that wasn't spent. But the father said, I'm going to take your inheritance <laughs> and I'm going to give it to him. And you better be okay with that. I feel like that's what God says to the church in them. I'm going to take these people out here just really messed up, jacked up, and I'm going to set them right in the middle of your crowd. And you better be okay with that. We're going through a party. Because identity is found. Man, that's identity. That's what God does. That's how he looks at us. That's how he don't look at us as wayward and awful and horrible. He looks at us as sons. So when we look at ourselves, we should see ourselves the way he sees us. Instead of the way we see us. And ultimately, we look at it the way he sees us, then effectively we're going to come into a place where we see us as he sees us. Now I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again because I'm going to end on this. I've never, and I've done this before in, in the crowd, people, but I never met, forget one time I was listening to Shonda Pierce, and Shonda Pierce was talking about how her little kid had climbed up in his eye, up, up in her lap, and she had looked at her, or he had looked at her, and he said, "Mom," he says, "How do you see? Or what do you? Or what do you see?" She said, "What do you see?" And he looked in her eyes, and he said, "I see me." She said, well, how do you look? He said, Mom, I look good in your eyes. 
Man, that's powerful. That's the identity that God wants us to have. It's where we look in his eyes. We see us and we see nothing but good. I can imagine that prodigal son that we call him prodigal, the son in Luke 15, come home. His daddy does a party. And the first thing that daddy does is runs out and hugs his neck. And I believe right after he hugs his neck, I believe he looks at him. Because I believe that God's going to look at you until you look at him. Right? I believe God's got to stare. Because he wants you to see you again as he is. He's looking. His eyes are on you. The Bible says his eyes are on the sparrow. He's got his eyes attentively wanting you to know who you are. Ain't that good? His whole mission is that you know who you are and you create more that know like you. You release revelation to the next generation. that sees who you are. And they in turn will release into their generation the same but greater knowledge than what you have in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you feel led to sow into Kevin Sigel Ministries, you can do so at kevinsigelministries.com or you can send us a check at P.O. Box 1874, Bryson City, North Carolina, 28713. Thank you. Have a blessed day.